Welcome to Leading Lights. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. particular lie that the devil tells, which is the root lie. It's at the base, at the source of all the other lies that the devil would tell us. And that lie is, you are unworthy, you are unclean, you are dirty. Can anyone relate to that? Does anyone's Christian life go up and down? Let me ask you a question. How do you know how close you are to the Lord? Or how do you know how pleased God is with you? How can you tell? In practical life, I'm not, this isn't theory far away. Every day, tomorrow, when you wake up in the morning, how, in reality, how do you say, oh, I'm so close to the Lord, God is so with me today, or He isn't? Don't answer out loud, but just bear that in your mind. Now I want you to imagine a picture of the Israelites. You know when the Passover happened, the, the last of the plagues was the angel of death would pass over and all the firstborn would be killed in the whole land of Egypt, but the Israelites put blood on the door. Do you remember that? The blood of a lamb on the door of their house. Imagine you're an Israelite or a non-Israelite because the Bible says there were some non-Israelites who got involved in, in the, the Passover, but imagine you're sitting in your little house, a little mud room, and there's neighbors on either side of you, and maybe some above you, you're in a, like, like a little complex, apartment complex, and you have put the blood on the outside of your door. Can you imagine the scene? And it's nighttime, and you're thinking, oh, what is going to happen? What's going to happen? And then you just start hearing from a distance, wailing, coming, crying, and it's coming closer, and it's coming closer, and you're hearing people of other houses, and maybe even people in your own apartment complex, as their children, as their oldest child is killed, and you hear the wailing sound coming out, and you're sitting there in your room, And right next door on this side, and maybe on this side, there's a terrible, gut-wrenching scream. And you're thinking, am I good enough? Am I I good? Am I a good Israelite? Did I keep all those laws? What about that? Oh, what about that thing I did the other day? What about that other thing? Did I put the right, did I get a spotless lamb? Maybe my lamb wasn't spotless. Did I paint it correctly? That's the turmoil that Christians go through every day. And tonight I want to try and just settle it for once and for all. Is that okay? Because for too long the devil has managed to accuse us. You know Satan means accuser? For too long the devil has accused us and we have listened. And our emotions go up and down. And our feeling of closeness to the Lord goes up and down. And our feeling of usefulness to God goes up and down. And our feeling of everything goes up and down. Just like that Israelite sitting in that little house. Is the the blood enough? (laughs) Isn't that right? Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah has a vision. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. 
and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. That scene is played out not just daily, but every minute in your life as a Christian. You're standing before the Lord and you know in yourself you are not good enough. You thought a bad thought, your emotions, you didn't believe, whatever, whatever. We even make faith a thing that we accuse ourselves with. Oh, did I have enough faith? And so we just got all these accusations and we're standing before the Lord and the devil is right there. You filthy, useless. And the Lord is saying, I rebuke you, put on clean clothing. Tonight, I want to just settle it. So what I've done is I printed it out, and you should have one of these handouts. <clears throat> I'm going to go quickly, and I'm just going to hammer you tonight with the truth of Scripture. It's going to be uncomfortable for you, because you will have heard sermons that say, if you don't do good enough, God won't use you. If you're not good enough, you won't be anointed. If you do this, you have to confess. And if you haven't repented enough, you're not close to the Lord. And I'm just going to try and use Scripture to prove to you the truth. That actually you can completely rely on that blood put on the door. Is that okay? You ready? Right. Number one, your spirit, <coughs> please follow me on your pages. Your spirit is what God sees and relates to. It's the real you. <coughs> you have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Your body is what we all see. It's like your earth suit. It's what you walk around planet earth in. Your soul is your thoughts, your personality, your emotions. And many of us think that's the real me. But actually, the Bible says the real you is even deeper. It's your spirit. It's the part of us that died when Adam and Eve sinned. You know when God said, you will surely die. The Hebrew is, you will die dying. What he was saying is, your spirit will die, and then your body will catch up in 100 years' time or 900 years' time in Adam's case. But your spirit, the spirit is what got separated from God. Your spirit is the real you. That's what died when Adam and Eve sinned. John 4 verse 24 says, God is... You're allowed to speak. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Which part of the three are parts of me must worship God? Which part relates to God? It's my spirit. Those who worship Him worship in... It's not my flesh. It's not my soul. It's my spirit that God relates to. Please stop me with questions if, if you have any. Right, John 3 verse 6. Jesus said, That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. The two are different. There's a flesh realm, there's a spirit realm. I get born from my earthly mother, and that's flesh, but then I get born again where my spirit gets made new, and that's spirit. And now listen to this next verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, nor does, incorruption, inherit, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood, this bit of us, this physical bit, does not inherit eternal life. doesn't go to heaven. We get given a new body, which is a spiritual body. Even the body we get in heaven is actually part of our spirits just outgrowing. Our spirit is the real us. 
It's the bit that God relates to. God is a spirit, and he relates to me as a spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal life. Spirit, the spirit in the middle of you is the real you that's going to live forever, that died when Adam sinned, and that's the bit that has to worship God and that God relates to. Spirit. Got to get that. Now, the next bit. Your spirit as a Christian is sealed. Listen to these verses. 2 Corinthians 1.22. He has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Don't rush over that word sealed us. Sealed means sealed. The word that we use as sealed is the same word. It means enclosed. (laughs) Look at the next one. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Completely enclosed. Ephesians 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed For when? Until you sin again? No, for the day of redemption. (laughs) Okay, are you tracking with me so far? So your spirit is what relates to God, and as a Christian, your spirit is sealed, hermetically sealed. i got a friend who makes avocado products, and he came up with this amazing way of keeping avocado fresh for as long as you want. He vacuum packs it in a special sealed thing, and you can keep it for months, and it doesn't go off. Isn't that amazing? Because avocado goes bad quickly, The seal. Imagine how much stronger God's seal is. It's perfect. Can't be broken. Right, now, your spirit, what is your spirit like as a Christian? Does it go up and down? Does it change from day to day? Does it get tainted? Does it, do you mess it up when you sin? (laughs) Listen to these verses. Hebrews 10 verse 14. I I like the NIV because it makes it clearer, but other versions are just as good. I'm going to read it from the NIV. Because by one sacrifice, he, who's he? That's Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Let me read that to you again. This is the verse that changed my life. I had been a Christian for many years, but this verse changed my life forever. It says, because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Your spirit, the real you, your spirit is perfect forever. It's sealed. It can't be made anything other than perfect. Just let these verses just sink in a bit. And all the time, you know, how do we tell how I, look, how I feel or how I look? We either look in a mirror, don't we? Or we test our feelings. We, look, we say, do I feel pain? Do I feel anger, sadness, upset, whatever? We look at ourselves. I'm suggesting the only way you know what your spirit is like is not by your feelings, and it's not by looking in a physical mirror. It, the only way is to look in the mirror of the Word of God. There's no other way to know what your spirit looks like. And I'm telling you now, we are looking in a mirror, and you are looking at your spirit. You say, I don't feel perfect. But actually, I'm telling you now what the Bible says your spirit, if you're a Christian, is like. Perfect forever. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That means a brand new species. A brand new thing that wasn't there before. A brand new creation. When you became a Christian, a brand new thing was born in your spirit. 
old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. That's in the past tense. Not, I'm going to be a new creation. I, as soon as I became a Christian, my spirit was made as perfect as it will ever be. Your spirit doesn't get better. It doesn't improve with Bible reading, exercise in the spirit, and doing good works. It doesn't improve your spirit. Your spirit is as good as it's ever going to get. Isn't that amazing? In fact, another thing that I heard recently, God will never love you more than he loves you this very second. Isn't that awesome? Never, ever. In, in 20 million billion years, if there is time in heaven, which there isn't, but in eternity, your spirit will never be better than it is now. You say, but I don't feel good. I sinned on the way here. I, I was trying to be good and I ate a chocolate donut, whatever. I had a horrible thought. I did this, I did that. Your spirit is sealed. Perfect. Let's move on. Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new man. We've just said you are a new creation. What's that new creation like? He says, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness according to God. Not according to men. Not according to my standards. According to God's standard of true righteousness and holiness, that's what your new spirit is like. Wow! Next one, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So if somebody says to you, how are you? You could say, well, my body is aging arthritic and wrinkled. My soul is clever, funny, and a bit depressed, but my spirit, my spirit, the real me, is the righteousness of God. You say, wow, you are arrogant. Who, who do you think you are? You're saying you're, you are as righteous as God? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Boy, this is This is crazy. Is this possible? Let's read on. Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means God is never angry. God is never upset with me. God is never cross with me, disappointed with me, in a bad mood with me. There's nothing I can do that'll break that seal. My spirit is perfect. You say, this doesn't sound fair. Surely Christians who are good should get closer to God, and those who are rubbish shouldn't be as close to God. Friend, if you want to go by fairness, none of us comes even to the first rung. (laughs) Not even the best of us. You find the best Christian you can ever find, and we're all as rubbish as each other in God's sight. Filthy rags, the Bible says. You say, oh, but I want to be a good Christian so God can use me God has never, ever had a qualified person working for him yet because none of us is good enough. We're all the same. Okay, let's move on. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Just stop and think about that for just a second. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That word one is means completely one. It means one unit. It means that his spirit and your spirit become the same thing. 
one spirit. When I'm joined to the Lord, my spirit becomes God's spirit. That is incredible. 1 John 4, verse 17. I love this one. Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Imagine being bold on the day of judgment. Imagine swaggering on to the day of judgment. You know, Jesus is there with his great white throne and there's millions of people in front of him and there's judgment being meted out and I am bold. How is that possible? He says, we can have boldness in the day of judgment. How? Because as he is, that's Jesus, so are we in this world. Not in heaven, in this world. Now, how is that possible? It says, as Jesus is, that's how I am in this world. But you look at your body and you say, but I'm not like Jesus. You look at your emotions, you say, but I'm, I'm not like Jesus. Ah, oh, that's it. It's the spirit again. God relates to us in spirit. So my spirit is like Jesus. And that's why I can have boldness in the day of judgment. Does it make sense? Is it starting to make sense? Good. It's a bit like the little Israelite sitting in his house. How can he have boldness? He looks at his own life. It's not perfect. He looks at his emotions. He doesn't feel strong. Ah, the blood. You see that? It's the same. We can have boldness because my spirit, not because of anything I did. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. His death on the cross has made my spirit the same as Jesus's. As he is, so am I in this world. That's how I can have boldness on the day of judgment. Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. If I think that any of my goodness affects my relationship with God, if I think that my being bad affects my relationship with God, what I'm saying is, in effect, and this sounds harsh, but it's true, I'm saying Jesus' death wasn't enough. That's what I'm saying. If I think that I can affect the way God feels about me by what I do, what I'm saying is Jesus' death on the cross was not enough and I need to add something. Yeah. Does that make sense? All right. I love this one. Isaiah 54 verse 8. God is speaking. He says, With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. You see what God is saying? He's saying, remember my covenant with Noah when there was this terrible flood that covered the earth? And at the end of the flood, God said to Noah, look at the rainbow. This is my promise that I will never destroy all life on earth by a flood again. He says it in exactly the same way in my new covenant, you can be sure that I will never be angry with you or rebuke you. I'll never remove my kindness from you. How is that possible? How is it possible that I can live this life and sin and God says, I'm not angry with you because he relates to my spirit. <laughs> now, immediately something rises up in us and we say, but that's not fair. I can't be bad and God still loves me. Friend, if you want fairness, 
You need to live under the old covenant law, and we will never keep the old covenant law. It's not about fairness. It's not about justice. It's about grace. I will never be angry with you, he says. You say, but I deserve you to be angry with me, God. I promised I would do this and this, and I didn't do it. He says, I'm looking at your spirit. Those who worship me must worship in spirit and truth. It's not about your fleshly actions. It's not about your soul actions or thoughts. It's about what's in your spirit. And it's perfect. You say, but I just don't feel good enough to serve you. I've, I've got to lead a prayer meeting or lead a Bible study or do this. And, and I've sinned. Surely I'm not good enough. He says, you couldn't be good enough. Even if you fasted for 50 days and you did everything right, you would still not be good enough. It's not about your goodness. And that verse in Ephesians 4 says this. And it's a very good point. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which was created according to God in true, true, true righteousness and holiness. What he's saying is that what's in your spirit is how God relates to you. But God loves you so much, he wants it to affect your soul, your mind, your emotions, and your body. He wants that. That's right. He wants it to work itself out. So, he's made us perfect forever, but we're being made holy. But that is not to decide on how he feels about us or our blessings from him or our access to heaven or our prayers getting answered. That is a function of this life that's in us. He wants it to express itself in every part of us because it's good for us. But he'll never judge you on that because if he did, we would fail, every one of us. But his desire is for it to work itself out. Let me get to the end and then we can look at these verses. So, John 3, verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So, believing in him is the only thing that decides whether I'm condemned or not condemned. John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. An action has happened. I will not be judged for my bad works anymore. I'll be judged for rewards, but not for bad works. Right. What I'd like to do now is just work through some verses in the book of Hebrews. And I'd like you to just follow with me. This is written, the book of Hebrews was written, funnily enough, to Hebrews to Jews, to people who believed in the Old Testament, who understood the Old Testament sacrifice system, the blood of the lamb, the giving of goats and bulls and, and sacrificing animals for blood sacrifices to try and cleanse my conscience. So the Jews would go once a year in the Day of Atonement, they would get the priest to sacrifice an animal, and then regularly throughout the year they would sacrifice things to try and cleanse their consciences, but it never lasted. They still had the sense deep down inside, I'm not good enough. Listen to what he says. Hebrews 9 verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal 
redemption. You see, the problem is we think, I became a Christian, I received Jesus' blood, I put the blood of the lamb over the door, but then the next day I sinned, oh no, now what's going to happen? Oh, do I need to put the blood again? Do I, do I need to put the blood on the door again? Oh, maybe I've lost that closeness with the Lord. Oh, and, and our emotions go up and down. But he says, he put the blood once for all. Once. For all time. That's right. And he calls it eternal redemption. It's, it has no end. Eternal redemption. Let's read on. Hebrews 9.13 For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What He's saying is, if you look at your Spirit through the eternal Spirit, what Jesus has done and what He's done for your Spirit, that should be enough to cleanse your conscience forever. Now, most of us, that's not the case. Most of us, our conscience condemns us every day. I prayed with two people on Sunday who could not accept that they were forgiven. They felt useless. And no matter what I said, no matter what verses I showed them, they just could not accept it. And there's a point where there's nothing anyone else can do. You have to sit in your little room and say, I have chosen to trust that blood, lamb, lamb's blood. Nobody else can force me to. No one else can convince me. You see, what we do is we go to people and we say, make me feel forgiven. But it's not about feelings. I've got to trust what the Word says. If I'm going on feelings, I will dip the very next day. Okay, let's read on. Hebrews 9.25, Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I've just underlined those words, since the foundation of the world, to show that when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for the sins that had been committed since the beginning of the world. And we know from verses that are going to follow that he was also dying for all the sins that were going to be committed to the very end. Every sin he paid for. Every single one. There's not a single sin that anyone on the planet could commit that hasn't been paid for by Jesus. Wow, some question marks start forming in our brains now. So, if all sins paid for, then is everybody saved? Is everybody going to heaven? No, those who put the blood on the door. Those who say, yes, I understand this. And we mustn't make faith a work where we say, I've got to really work up my faith and believe. No, no, it's just seeing what he's done. Just seeing the blood and saying that's enough. That's faith. It's just receiving. Let's read on. Uh, 1 John 2 verse 2, I've just stuck this in here. It says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours. And then the NIV puts a little brackets and footnotes. It says, or he is the one who turns aside God's wrath, taking away our sins, and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. He turned aside God's wrath, God's anger, for the whole world's sins. Not just those who were living at the time, all those future, all those past, every sin that could ever be committed. There is no anger anymore because Jesus has turned aside God's wrath 
God's wrath is fully satisfied in the death of His Son. Wow! Okay, let's read on. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. When He comes the second time, there's no, there's no sin in His sight anymore. This is hard for people to understand. Sin has been dealt with. In God's, in God's economy, in God's mind, sin has been paid for. The only issue is whether people have received the sacrifice, the forgiveness, or not. Believed or not believed. There's no, in, in God's justice system, murder has been paid for, theft has been paid for, sexual immorality has been paid for. Every single sin you could think, for, think of has been paid for. The only question he asks is, did you believe and receive? Did you put the blood on the door or didn't you? He doesn't ask, did you commit anger, this, that, 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 because they've been paid for. He only wants to know, did you take the blood or not? Wow. <laughs> Hebrews 10 verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of the things to come, not the very Im image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then... They would not have ceased to be offered, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. Now, that, what he's saying there is if the Old Testament sacrifices were very powerful, then once they were made, the Jews would have said, Oh, we don't even need to be conscious of sin anymore because it's been paid for. What he's trying to say is that we now, because Jesus has paid, should be in a place where we can say, I have no more consciousness of sins. That is a challenging and shocking truth you say but aren't we supposed to be conscious of sin aren't we supposed to be worried about it and trying not to sin and thinking about sin he says you get to the place where you have no more consciousness you just say god loves me and you live better <laughs> out of love and just relaxing in his presence than you ever did out of trying to climb the rungs of a ladder wow hebrews 10 verse 10 by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's happened. Once for all. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, <coughs> sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because he's, it's done. <laughs> it's finished. You know this idea that many people seem to have that Jesus is in heaven and every time I sin, he's putting some more blood on the altar and he, oh, I've got to, oh, oh boy, they're sinning. Up here. No, no, it's done once for all. And then he sat down. There's no more work. His sacrifice was enough. Hebrews 10 verse 13, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And then it ends in Hebrews 10 verse 22 with our response. Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What am I saying tonight? <coughs> let me clarify. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. If you rely on your body to tell you how close you are to God, you'll struggle. If you rely on your soul, your mind and your emotions, you will battle. But if you worship in spirit, if you say, my spirit is what relates to God and my spirit is perfect, it's one spirit with Him, it's as Jesus is, so am I, my spirit is sealed, it's pure, suddenly I realize I can come in bold, full assurance. <laughs> full assurance. 
my conscience sprinkle. And if my conscience accuses me, I say, no, no, it's not about how good I am. I am perfect in God's sight. When that happens, when I get that ding moment, when the light bulb goes on in my head and I realize how pure and perfect I am because of what he's done, that's called faith. And the result of faith is I then start to change. My mind starts to change. My emotions start to change. My actions start to change. I start to become good. But I don't become good to try and put myself in a position. It's a, it springs out of the position I'm already in. It springs out of this realization of how clean and accepted I am. Then I start to live right automatically. When I'm accused, when my conscience accuses me, instead of now trying to get into the law again and saying, oh, I must get good, I must control myself, instead of that, I must actually just say, look at how pure I am, look at what God has done, and immediately that life starts to flow into the rest of me, and I don't want to sin anymore. It changes the way I think, changes the way I act, and I become better and better and better and better and better as a Christian. Let's think about how, how did we get saved? How did we get saved? Did we come to God realizing we had nothing to offer? Yes. I came to God realizing, I can't do this. I can't earn salvation. I just came to God as I am, just as I am without one plea. You know, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I came to Him. Um, yes, I repented, but it was more just looking to God. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, Just as you received Him, continue to live in Him. In other words, we start off in that attitude, but then we get into this place, now I'm forgiven, now I must start working. Now I must start trying, effort, action, more, 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 and actually I've gone into law. And Paul in Galatians says, if you go back into law, Christ has become of no effect to you. You've fallen away from grace. You've lost the whole plot. It's not about effort. I've got it just as I received him, just by gratefulness, that's how I live in him. But I just want to talk about 1 John 1 verse 9, because that's the only place, the only place where it indicates that we should continue to, well, it doesn't even say repent. It says confess your sins. Do you remember that verse? Yeah. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And because of that one verse, there's no other verse in the Bible that makes people think they have to confess their sins after they've become a Christian. But I want to tell you that that verse is actually saying we don't deny that we've sinned. We live in a place of, yes, Lord, I know I'm, I'm a sinner. But it's not a thing of, I have to confess every single little sin, otherwise it's not under the blood, and then I'm, I'm a sinner again. That's not what it's saying, because then the whole of Hebrews 9 and 10 is not true. The fact is, I confess, just let's read the verses before and after, and you'll see what it says. The very verse before says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The verse after says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. So it's not saying confess every little sin. It's saying, admit you are a sinner. <laughs> admit, yes, okay, I'm a sinner. Then it says, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What that's meaning, my spirit is already sealed. So it's not my spirit. My soul and my body get affected by sin. Not by God. God's not putting it on me. I'm bringing it on myself. <laughs> when I sin, my mind gets messed up. My emotions get messed up. I feel useless. 
And even my body can get messed up by disease and whatever. Yeah. I come to him, I say, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that my spirit <coughs> is perfect. I confess, I need you. Not to try and get close to him because he loves me anyway. Yeah. And what happens then is my soul and my body get cleansed from all unrighteousness. It's almost like the demons and the devil that have managed to get a foothold, they just get flushed out. Whenever I come in humility and say, God, I am a sinner, they get flushed out. Does that make sense? I don't believe, I mean, I think confession is good. I think it's a good place to be. I think repentance is good. But as long as it springs out of this place of rest. Somebody explained it to me once. If you come to Jersey from another country and you try to get a passport by living like a Jerseyman, you'll struggle. But if you come and they say, here we go, here's citizenship, you're a Jerseyman. And out of gratitude, I'm a Jerseyman, I don't need to do anything to earn this, but hey, I'm just so pleased, I want to live in this place, I want to be like this place. That's living out of the freedom of what's already been given to you, instead of trying to earn your way to it. If we think I need to impress God by my repentance or by being good in order for Him to accept me, it's me trying to get the passport. But when I realize I'm forgiven, suddenly out of that flows obedience, gratitude. Not because I'm trying to earn it, it just happens. It just flows out. I'd like to actually talk more about Romans 7 and 8 where Paul says, in in my inner man, I want to do good, but I find this law at work in my flesh and the members of my body that makes me want to sin. Who will save me from this body of death? A wretched man that I am. And then he says, thanks be to God. And he talks about life in the spirit. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. There is a reality that I will live till the end of my life with a body that is habitually used to sinning. And a mind and emotions that are habitually used to sinning. And I choose now to set my mind. Let me just read you the verse. Romans 8 verse 6. So he says, those who live according to the flesh, and that's what Romans 7 is all about, living according to the flesh. I'm trying to do good, but my flesh is telling me to sin. I'm wretched. What will I do? He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. In other words, my mind is looking at the flesh to determine how I feel, my righteousness, how good I am, what I must do. I'm looking to the flesh for my signals and my, and my instructions. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. To be fleshly minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What he's saying is you've got this perfect spirit on the inside, your mind is in the middle, and your flesh is on the outside. Your mind is the switch, <laughs> and you decide, am I going to look at my flesh to decide who I am, or am I going to look at my spirit to decide who I am? And every time I make that decision, and my mind looks at my spirit, and I see that I'm perfect in the Lord, life and peace. Galatians 5 says, the flesh and the spirit war against each other. <laughs> So you are already perfect, but your mind has to see that. And then it starts to influence the whole rest of you. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the, the take home from tonight is to decide today, never again 
to rely on my feelings to decide whether the blood of the lamb is on my door. That's really what it's all about. Because you will be attacked every day, just like in Zechariah 3, the devil will come every day and say, you are useless, you are useless, you are useless, you are useless. You said you would pray, you didn't pray. You said you would fast, you didn't fast. You said you'd be good, you weren't good. You didn't say you'd be good and you should have said you'd be good. The devil will just attack you every single chance. And you know what, he's so tricky. He tempts you first. Come on, man, just do this little thing. It's no problem. And then as soon as you do it, he just hammers you. You are evil. And as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Wow, you are perfect. Okay, let's, let's pray. Let's just meditate on this before the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a spirit, Lord, and you want me to worship you in spirit, not in flesh, not in my soul, but in who my spirit is. God, I thank you that you have made me perfect. I thank you, God, that you'll never be angry with me, that Jesus' blood has turned aside your wrath forever. Amen. Thank you, God. And thank you, God, that now I'm being made holy. I'm being sanctified as a result. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help me and each of us never, ever again to go to our flesh or our soul to decide how close we are with you, Lord. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to look to what you've done in our spirit and to trust that and to renew our minds with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, go to leadinglightsnetwork.com.